Um, well, thank <clears> you for the positive feedback on my. What was it? Studio business with Jake and Jenna. Hey, it's Jake. <laughs> no, hey, it's Jenna's co-host. No, okay, hold on. We'll get it figured out. <clears throat> hey, it's Jenna's co-host, Jacob. And I'm Jacob's co-host, Jenna. And this is Studio Visits, the podcast where we get our friends and fellow artists into the studio. We talk about things like, you're so anxious. It's I know, making I'm me sorry. Anxious. No, I'm not that anxious. I'm just trying to sit close to You're enough. real fidgety. I am a fidgety person. I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm, like a, I'm like a leg spinner. swinger and like a hand jumper. <laughs> Me too. Well, that voice you're hearing is our guest. <laughs> you know about you know about Studio Visits podcast, so we can just get right into it. Sure. Uh, we're joined today. Oh my gosh, I just forgot your last name, Kelly. Kelly. <laughs> Pretty easy one. I just wrote down Nia. <laughs> Didn't even think about it. Uh, we're joined today <laughs> by Nia Kelly, a printmaker, <clears throat> avid knitter, Vancouver Island native. And a printmaking yeah. MFA candidate at IU School of Art, Architecture, and Design. Say hello, Nia. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks I know I'm supposed to say that. But I mean it. But I oh. also know that everyone is always really like, thank you so much. But I'm happy to be here. You're right. It's true. We get a lot of just like formal. <clears throat> just lots of praising. Appreciation and accolades. <laughs> yeah. No. People are like, Jenna, Jacob, you're so <laughs> cool and awesome. And thanks for. No, we it's know that there's formality. Thing. I like that they also preface it with just like, I know it is a formality to do this, but. I know. I'm an asshole. I just, I just, uh, I'm nervous. So I'm just going to say a lot of things that I nervous. probably shouldn't. <laughs> Please don't be nervous. You're in control of this conversation. Yeah, we're here to just chat. <laughs> Also, it can, anything can be edited out by our lovely editor. Our whole team, our, our suite team of, of editors. editors. Uh, Nia, printmaking. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? What the fuck? Why? Yeah. Printmaking? What is printmaking? Let's get, I don't, <clears throat> yes, let's start from zero. What is printmaking? Oh, man, technical questions. It's a method to make two-dimensional work, and it's reproducible, so you can make multiples. Mostly it was used industrially to make posters and... Propaganda, things like that. Mm. Um, I work mostly in lithography, so I do the method where you draw on a stone, a limestone, and work in layers and build up images that way. So, yeah. Do you have a lot of stones? I own one stone. One stone. It's a baby stone. It's like 10 by 8 okay. inches. But no, we just have stones at the school and we just use those. Oh, nice. So you typically have to work in a big studio, a community-based studio, where you have access to all this equipment, because it's usually pretty hard to come by. Right. Yeah. Very (laughs) equipment-driven, and I mean, it's like, aren't there a lot of chemicals in the process as well? Tons of chemicals, tons of process. It seems just like a ton of process for very little reward. (laughs) So I don't know. That sounds awful. But I think that people don't really realize the work that goes into making a single print. And a single layer print can be a ton of work, but then when you're working in like five layers or how you're distributing your colors throughout those layers, it just becomes exponentially more time consuming. So Sure. So why <coughs> would somebody gravitate towards that and, and what was it what was it about it that made you want to want to invest all this time and energy? Well, I think I started painting and I used to paint with really thin layers, mostly transparent, sort of washes, things like that. So mm-hmm. a lot of my painting teachers would just be like, you're a printmaker, you work like a printmaker. So I don't know, then I took print classes. I think I really liked initially the marks and lines you get in Intaglio. 
So you work mostly in oil-based inks on cotton rag paper. So it has this sort of really dense, rich quality, and you can't really get it in any other way. So mm -hmm. initially I did intaglio, then I started making, um, I guess I did litho after that. Mostly I had no idea what litho was. I just sort of observed what was going on. <laughs> like in my undergrad, our studios were joined and you would have to walk by the litho studio and you would see people like on stones, fanning things, like rolling things. It was just all sort of very mysterious. So I think for me, it was probably the process that interested me initially. And then also sort of some kind of similarity between how I was already working and how you traditionally work in print media. So, mm -hmm. so the images in your head were already <laughs> almost set up to be printed like you're I, saying with the light layers and yeah I think like process and maybe in terms of surface quality I was working in ways similar to printmaking but um I think I always worked more responsibly and intuitively so for me to go into print you really have to then become pretty precise and um, really kind of imagine everything ahead of time and then mm. you have to like break it down and then you have to figure out the order or how things are going to overlay and like if you're going to go dark to light or light to dark. So there's just a lot more f moving parts. And I think for me, I just find that really interesting. I, I don't know if the result is that interesting, but I think a lot of printmakers are process oriented. They just like doing it and it's really active and physical. And I think that's a big part of it too. Hmm. It's like a lot of planning and problem solving. It sounds like a lot of problem solving. Yeah. So then have you, I guess I'm, what I'm thinking is like all of that planning and stuff, like if you are an intuitive artist, if you're working, um, you know, from your gut or mm -hmm. shooting from the hip or something like that, <clears throat> by the time you're done, is, is the magic just gone? Is it dead? Or is there something, a part of that process and energy, does that actually add to the work instead of take away all of its spontaneous uh, appeal? I think there's things that you can be spontaneous with, and then there's things you have to kind of control for. Like I think my images, I have maybe like a loose framework and I can kind of explore different uh, gestures or ways of applying materials that are intuitive. And then you kind of have to like work backwards and figure out how you're gonna print it. Mm. Like I'll typically, I'll be like, um, I'm gonna make a four run print. I think I wanna use sort of like this family of colors and then I might think about the order sort of after, kind of like problem solve it after I've drawn things. Hmm. That can be difficult though, because I think sometimes I sort of uh, would be better off working with an actual print technician. <laughs> it's like I'll have an image and then like someone who's uh, maybe like a professional or a master printer would be like, oh, you need to break these up on different things and do it like oh. this. And I think a lot of times I'll create bigger problems for myself because I'll just start doing something and then I'll be like, shit, how am I going to print this <laughs> at the end? And then I have to figure out ways to do that. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't think I compromise on mm, like the spontaneity or the images really. I think I just have to sort of negotiate with how I'm working myself. Yeah, when, and, when and where that spontaneity <clears throat> occurs mm -hmm. and in understanding and negotiating that in the process. I think like a lot of people who are sort of more technical and really technical in their printing sort of have a hard time imagining what they could be doing because there's a right way to do things. And 
I think that's a nice thing about sort of the artist printmaker collaboration is because artists will come in and just be like, I want to do this. And they have mm -hmm. no idea how to do it. And then the printmaker gets to like be exposed to a problem that they would never have imagined. So I think I kind of like to do that within myself where I'll be like artist brain and I'll be like, how am I going to print this? And Interesting. So. There are two Nias. <laughs> two Nias. The artist Nia and the printmaker Nia. <laughs> what role do those drawings play in your, because so do you, do you keep those drawings that were like the plans for the work? For the um, printing? I don't really do a lot of preparatory sketches. I mean, I might a little bit, but I think I kind of. I don't know, maybe this is too specific, but on a lithostone, you can work with a substance called a touche wash, and it's sort of like a watercolor-based thing that um, you can apply in different ways. And um, I think I'll kind of have a loose idea of what I want to do, but then how it actually looks on the stone, like it takes on a different quality, one that you couldn't get just through maybe using watercolors or whatever. Mm -hmm. It just has a different type of uh, look. I don't know, it kind of looks watercolory, but almost like expansive and it takes on this weird reticulation like quality so I think that stuff is gone you know you do mm -hmm. it on a stone you print it you have the print and then you grade it off like you use like a levigator which is sort of like a stone to grain down the previous image so then it's lost forever but mm -hmm. that's kind of why those whole idea about additions exists you know so that like it's gone so there's only 10 of them and then that's it so so when you when you're drawing on the stone, do you call mm -hmm. it drawing on the stone, or do you? Yeah, people will call it drawing on the stone. Um, you can get more than one print from that. It's not like a mono print sort of situation. I mean, if you do it on a stone, you can get hundreds, but Whoa. it's just a matter okay. of like if you want to be doing that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think a lot of I don't know that well, but I think a lot of professional print shops will not necessarily print the entire run on one day, and you can keep that stone for as long as you want. Like you can. Um, <clears throat> Like it's called like opening it up. So on a lithostone, you've got like a reservoir where you roll this ink into, and that reservoir has been created through like a greasy substance and then an acid applied that like burns it into the stone. So you store it in black ink, but you can wash it out and print it in whatever color you want. So you can do that over and over and over again. And mm. if it's on a stone, you can also like print it hundreds of times. Mm. It's just sort of like sheer <laughs> physical <laughs> strength, like how long you want to be doing that for. Mm, okay. um, and then when you're totally done with it, you can grain it off or you can roll it up in black and store it. And with oil-based inks, they never really dry in the stone. So people will buy like old litho stones and it'll have like an ad on there or something and you can just like open it up and print it. And well, okay. so that's kind of fun. You're like, what's on here? And then you can print it. So in that way there, you can keep them forever. But I think in terms of additions and driving up the cost of a print or something like that, they'll be like, that's it, it's done, and they get rid of the matrix mm -hmm. so that you can't reproduce it. Right, yeah. and then you have to have the money to be able to have more stones, like if you're wanting to save your, like if you're drawing on the Yeah, stone, right? you'd have to have like a huge stone line. You'd have to like be like, all right, I can just like put this one on the shelf and grab another one. Yeah. But it doesn't seem like a, as much of a luxury here. Kind I mean, of like yeah. screen printing in a way, where you could like print a bunch of things with one screen. Mm. You yeah, know, where you're cleaning it out and like re, yeah, exactly, uh, emulsifying it or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's exactly like that. Just and like with litho, you can work on a photo plate too, or a, what's called a ball grain. It's kind of like an aluminum plate that acts like a stone, but it's not a stone. So you can save those things forever. You mm -hmm. can't really reuse them. Use them once, and then you can't take the image off. But right. you can have it. <laughs> so then, how does this translate into some of the 3D things that you? <clears throat> been making like I think you call them fishtails 
<laughs> I have like three patterns. I so since I came here, I think I, I kind of came in with an idea of what I wanted to be doing, and I have always sort of done something and then kind of like appropriated for myself and like changed it in some way. So I just think that idea or that way of working has always been something that I've done. Um, but I came in sort of with the idea to make this absurd sort of object of a book uh, to just use these like really minimal shapes. And I just wanted them to be interacting and kind of um, exploring like proximity and form and how they're moving in space. And initially it was just black forms and then I added in uh, color and then I eventually just went to blind embossing, which is when you just print the plate and so it just has like the edge essentially and it's just like a white impression so my whole book I did with um copper plates shaped copper plates um and I did what's called like mesotinting so it's what it's basically you just like mark up the plate uh to get it to print a pure black Mm-hmm. So they were really flat and really black and really rich. And I just sort of, my book is like mostly that. And then I went into what's called like a la poupée wiping or it's like select wiping. So you put on a color and then you take it off. And so I was essentially, each of those pages in that book is like a unique print. Mm-hmm. Um, so they all kind of function differently. And then from there, I just kind of uh, went up in scale and did like large lithographs and... I don't know. I just sort of was like, I wonder what these would look like as three-dimensional shapes. Where you then start <clears> to like <throat> sew edges, edge to edge. and I kind of just like imagined them. I took like each of my 2D form or shapes and I just like imagined and created out of like sculpture foam what uh, it's 3D. Mm-hmm. I don't know, form might be. Mm-hmm. And it's was totally intuitive like I didn't have a plan really I just kind of like took that one flat plane and then did the rest of it and then when I got a shape that I liked I kind of just stopped and then from there I made um I made patterns based off of those shapes so that I could reproduce them and so then I've just been playing with printing uh like printing those shapes in various ways and various methods with like different materials and marks and then like turning them into the 3d forms so there's Mm -hmm. like a relationship back and forth um and then I guess more broadly I'm sort of interested in like how creative you can be within like strict limits and parameters so like each iteration has its own sort of specific set of rules that I'm working within and then um like what um I mean like with my book it was just really sort of I didn't do very much. It was black. I was like, how long can I do this for where it's interesting? So I was trying to like always develop a new composition. Um, and I think my rules <laughs> tend to like expand when maybe I get bored with them too. I'll be like, never mind. I'm going to do something else. Um, <laughs> but my lithos, I sort of did them mostly with, I didn't do flats. I kind of used mark making or like small marks. I kind of translated one of my pages from my book. So it like, just became more about gesture, I guess, as mm-hmm. opposed to um, composition or how they operate in space. Um, and I think with my paper forms and my felt forms, I guess I'm just playing with scale mostly in that, in sort of like the game as the game of if people notice the relationship, which I think is interesting. 
I think I like getting attention from the viewer. I think I want people to notice how they connect back and forth or where things are sourced from. <clears throat> so um, either like revealing that process or concealing that process is sort of like a fun back and forth for me. Yeah. What, what relationship are you referring to? Like between your prints and your 3D forms or? Yeah. Okay. Because a lot of my, um, like I've printed my pattern as a print. Mm -hmm. And then I've like used that to make certain 3D forms and right. like the pattern doesn't always necessarily relate to the form mm -hmm. that it's being used for, I guess. <laughs> Sorry, I like lost my sentence. Um, and then I'll just have like a maybe a print that's got like a big shape on there and I've like mm -hmm. cut it up and made a really small form. So there's maybe like an angle that you might know belongs to that other shape that's right. on this shape. So mm -hmm. kind of just deconstructing things and then seeing if people can kind of piece it back together. Which is interesting because you're kind of like piecing together too, right? In yeah. Are you ever showing your prints along with your 3D forms? I, yeah, I usually have. And I guess I'm now at a point where people are kind of asking me if they need to all be there together, mm -hmm. if it's too obvious. I'm probably too close to it to really have like an actual... <laughs> Um, opinion like I think I like all of the steps and phases so mm -hmm. I don't know how necessary it is to lay out that entire sequence right because um, like sequencing is important to me and maybe eventually like playing with the sequence too like manufacturing how things evolved or the order of things might be like another sort of fun way to explore it but well it kind of sounds like the same reason <clears throat> that you got into to Printmaking is like that idea of like order of operations or like problem solving and like sequencing and right um, yeah, which is pretty. It's <clears throat> nice that that's coming through in your and the work that you're making now too. Um, yeah. So is that conceptual territory for you, or is it pretty strictly formal and process based? Like, what's <clears throat> do you have any? Is there conceptual? ground or, oh. or anything that you're hoping to communicate other than just like formal relationships? <clears throat> um, I mean, I think it kind of speaks to the creative process, I suppose, in general and how sort of how ideas are maybe spurred on by, by process. I think for me, I definitely get a lot of ideas when I'm making things and I guess sort of the game of how those things evolve, how we get ourselves to create those ideas, and then also, I think, just sort of following these things into sort of an absurd area, like where you're so stuck on like the process or the rules or the steps, it starts to get beyond yourself and create these sort of really weird iterations. I suppose that's what I'm interested in. It's but. finding some sort of limit or extreme, some sort of... Or like... <laughs> yeah, it's like you've got these limits, but then it leads somewhere limitless. Hmm. So. At least somewhere where? <laughs> like limitless. Limitless. I, I feel like I'm always like, this is the end, and then it just like keeps going, and they kind of just keep getting more and more detached from the source, and I find that really fascinating, I guess, hmm. that it's like this ever-giving well <laughs> like hmm. expression and creativity. Interesting. <laughs> Sounds like a nice place to be. Do you ever want to try to find that limit? Like, do you think there, so like you're saying that it like 
you put limits and then it leads to something kind of limitless, but is it truly limitless or like, is it just about like like more exploration in the same thing? Or I don't know. Do you ever want to like chase that down? And like put a stop to it? Yeah. I think that would probably lead into making things perfect, Mm -hmm. which I don't think I'm opposed to. Like I think this whole year now with like thesis and like you only have this much space is like, a new sort of limit or rule to operate oh, right. within. And it's like the space to exhibit in <laughs> right. Or like, okay. that's too many. Like you need to have a number. And I like that idea sort of like for my forms, I'm like, okay, I'll have a number. And then sort of starting to sort them by like grouping or like, what is this one about? And what is this one about? Or like, how are they connected? I guess. Cause a lot mm-hmm. of them will have, like a sketchy little print that has the pattern on it or other ones are just felt or other ones are just like bigger prints that just look like color, but they all kind of come from the same thing, but they sort of um, are about maybe something slightly different in each of those iterations. So I kind of like having maybe that that I have to operate within. I feel like if I gave myself really strict rules, like you're not going to make any more of these, it would probably force me to become tighter and more perfectionist with what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else, I don't, yeah, I don't know exactly what kind of things would come out of that. When did you, when <clears throat> did you start to figure out or piece together the fact that you needed those or that you really wanted some design constraints on projects that you were working on? Um, I think I just like having something to come up against. Yeah. I Definitely. don't think I can work very well without some sort of uh, restraint. I think that's especially true for abstract artists. I think people who work more realistically have things that they're always trying to get to. And I think if you're sort of like, I tend to be pretty accepting or like intuitive. And so I think I just sort of was like, I can't just do whatever. I need to have some kind of, I don't know, like a straight jacket. <laughs> no, I don't know. Like mm-hmm. a room to kind of like a, function with It's like a thunder jacket for an artist. Yeah. It's like when dogs get scared of <laughs> of a storm, you like put a heavy heavy yeah, jacket on, on them. them. Mm-hmm. And then they feel better. <laughs> yeah, with like a, big, a hug machine. With a big hood on it. Yeah. Those jackets have always looked interesting to me. It's like a simultaneous security blanket and like constraint is it const- it's constraining. Did, mm-hmm. did we talk about those? They're these like heavy sand blankets. Have they're you seen those? Flat. They're they're like they like they're kind of like quilt, quilted looking, but they have sand like in the in the sections that are sort of quilted and um, the gridded quilted, not like crazy like I'm just that I just like started imagining some crazy quilt floral patterns. quilted. Yeah, yeah <laughs> um, just like on a grid. And yeah, they're like heavy. They're like ten pounds or something. Hmm, and that sounds great. They're for anxiety, you're like right, like a, but it, like a hug machine type of. I think so. Yeah, I like that idea. I feel like that would feel nice. Yeah, it seems like it would feel nice, <laughs> but then I also it seems like potentially anxiety-inducing, and it's, you know, it's like I feel like it could go either way, because mm-hmm. you're being like held down. But it might be yeah, it might be nice to feel like somebody else is there with you or something I don't know yeah maybe like when you're really really upset and then someone just like hugs you and you like fight and they're like hug you tighter yeah okay (laughs) fine (laughs) but in blanket form (laughs) form. yeah yeah it seems like maybe I don't know it sounds nice these constraints I think that's where uh we might be similar in artistic process and I think you're Mm -hmm. right with artistic I guess with with the motivation behind you know 
approaching realism or figure figurative work or something like that. That benchmark is an accurate representation of mm. something, mm -hmm. right? And when that something becomes a little more conceptual or abstract, uh, it's it's about how you navigate the discussion of that something yeah. that informs, um, you know, like your research into it, or also like your just your conversation with your audience, you know, mm -hmm. about about that topic. Uh, and I think I, I think I learned pretty early on that I was really good with assignments, like in school. Like I, like I was good at taking the constraints of an assignment, opening them up to my own idea, mm -hmm. and then kind of working in things, kind of like always pushing a little bit outside of you know the boundaries of it, but making sure I'm at least checking off the boxes and and just. I guess, I don't know. It was like mm -hmm. the goal is to impress. The goal is to, I guess, think outside the box in this way. Um, you know, like use these as a jumping off point. Uh, mm -hmm. In my undergrad, a lot of a lot of the first jumping off points were kind of a word or a topic. Okay. And so then I think that that led me into, into making more conceptual work because they became, you know, abstract concepts or yeah. um, design constraints <clears throat> in that respect. So... I feel like I worked so poorly within assignments and constraints. <laughs> I just like couldn't handle it in undergrad. <laughs> and the, like, and, and in fact, I would, I took fewer, I took more independent studies so I could actually make the things that I wanted to make. I just remember in my um, intro to fiber class, the assignments were so specific. I hate that. That, yeah, it was so frustrating. We did this like, <laughs> We did this um, deconstruction and reconstruction piece where we just like cut up canvas and like sewed it back together. And then we did an embroidery piece. I can't remember what the third piece was. And then the last one, the faculty was like, hey, we're going to, um, you guys, for this one, we're going to be a little more open. You get to do whatever you want, except you have to use denim. So it was like all these really weird random constraints. <laughs> and I, I was like so stoked because I, I had like some ideas on things to do. And then it was like, except you have to use denim. And then I was like, like, why? I don't know. So I just like never worked well within like weird limitations. Mm -hmm. um, I just wanted to rail against them. Well, that time. happens. Yeah. I think that is, there's sort of like when you have an assignment or you have constraints, the, the initial thing is like, well, fuck these. Yeah. And it's <laughs> like, well, okay, I can't throw everything out. You know what I mean? Like I have to you do something, but when I got here, and when I got, well, I guess when I, when I got to the, my thesis year in undergrad, the idea was to like give myself assignments because otherwise I would just be kind of going off in all directions with no real, mm -hmm. with okay. no real goal, no real aim or, yeah. or like purpose. I would never know when I've kind of like started or approached what I was like aiming for. There was nothing like hot or colder, you know, there's no gauge for that. Yeah. So when I got here, Make, like I guess thinking of, thinking of assignments or at least thinking of conceptual territory that I wanted to stay into is mm -hmm. pretty important because I for a while I was just kind of wandering around aimless just like I need to make things I'll just make sculpture whatever that is <laughs> um, I don't even know I'm trying to think because I feel like I had this I had like both of those responses I feel like I could adapt assignments to my own mm. um like what I want to be doing I'd be like oh this I can just fit this into what I'm already mm. doing and somehow like get by in that way but then also I was just like 
fuck this. I don't just want to do my own thing. Like I want it to fit into what I'm already doing mm-hmm. yeah. type of deal. And I, um, I don't know, but also I think I've always been pretty good at like giving myself projects. Like I just kind of tend to always have projects and I don't know. It's, it's weird. I feel like my whole family is like that. We're all just like project oriented. <laughs> so maybe you just kind of like grow up with that mentality and, Anyways. Yeah. If you're always working on something, is that the is that what you mean by pride? Like pride yeah, pride yeah. Pride? Like you're always like I think I never I think I take breaks by working on other projects. Like that's mm-hmm. right. I'll be like time to eat. I'm like great, and then I like pull out like my knitting or like some other form I'm working on or I don't know. I just that makes it sound like I don't think very often. Like I'm just doing stuff, but I don't actually. Know. <laughs> I feel like you probably think more because you're doing stuff. <laughs> like the mm-hmm. like the idea of just like repetitive action and and being able to think while doing it especially with knitting Mm -hmm. yeah I think process-based disciplines definitely understand that connection better than like I don't know maybe painting I feel like painting does a lot of like looking why are you so against painters no my dad's a painter (laughs) (laughs) I like painting so yeah I think I remember hearing that that like uh does he have a show Oh, yeah, it's a show. Cool. Plug that at the end. That'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, it's on Vancouver Island, so if anyone wants to go there. So, so you grew up, I guess, uh, the way that you were talking about the creative process earlier um, and exploring that within the work, making sort of like self-evident, like the, the process that created your work is, um, is evident in, in viewing the work, I suppose. I think so. So, I mean, I, that's kind of like one of my goals. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, I don't know, to me that meant like, okay, well, you are pretty comfortable and well-versed within your own creative process. Mm-hmm. I imagine that comes from just doing it for an amount of time and also like a good critical self-understanding and self-awareness. So you grew up in a kind of a creative house or like were you encouraged to do artwork and all that? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I... My dad is a painter, abstract painter, and um, he sold furniture for my whole life growing up to like support our family, but he always paints. So he'd like go to work all day and come home and then we'd have dinner and then he'd just be in his studio like painting. <laughs> and he would, uh, I remember just being pretty young and he'd be like, okay, come here, tell me what you think. And he would just like get us to like give him feedback or really? like tell him what we thought of like That's his cool. work or like which ones we liked or like why. and. Um, I don't know. He's definitely someone who it's like all pretty formal. He used to do a lot of like hard edge stuff. He's a lot of palette stuff. He's also colorblind. So he would um, like ask us about his colors often. Really? Like he'd be like, that's green. And we'd be like, it's brown. <laughs> stuff like that. Um, so that was always Do you know what color he can't see? He's red, green, colorblind. Wow. So that's what he, I mean, I guess I don't really, un- I mean, I know that they see them sort of grayed off, but I think he, I think he can kind of tell when there's like a red and a green. I think it just sort of. There are fewer receptors in the, yeah. in the retina. Yeah. Like it, he sees everything as like, it's not as luminous, I guess. Like he has um, these glasses where one lens is red and he would sometimes wear them for painting. Really? Um, and he was driving with them one time and like he didn't normally do that. And he was so excited about all the neon lights or like even the traffic lights mm. mm. he was like is it always like that it's glowing <laughs> like that's so crazy and i was like <laughs> i was like poor dad <laughs> you're like yeah dad it's always like, like that oh, okay i think uh, no, i mean as somebody with a visual impairment i think that 
tends to lead to an, uh, an interesting understanding of the world and and um, my color my colors are pretty good. Wait, you have a visual impairment? Is uh -huh. that what you're one eye is junk. Are you colorful? One eye is junk, and the other is okay. The yeah. uh, the rods and cones didn't migrate to the focal point, so everything's sort of like fifty percent. Wow. Yeah, it's like wearing a sunglass lens over one eye. Like Whoa. foggy. Mm, it is unfocused <laughs> because it uh, because the eye never had anything real strong image to focus on and like oh, wow. change its shape too. So. Oh yeah. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. I can wear glasses and it sharpens it up a little bit, but it's still dark. Huh. But anyway, I think that that obviously as visual people and as a visual society, mm -hmm. um, it can kind of create this interesting uh, pers perspective, I guess, so to say. It's a little out outsidery or something. Like yeah. the world isn't necessarily made to be seen that way. So right. um, it also made me bad at sports because mm. I don't have any. Except swimming. Well, it, there's very little point. depth perception necessary in swimming. <laughs> you just need to know where the wall is. But even yeah. then, I'd screw that up and <laughs> flip turn way too early. So yeah. I like this idea that your dad was being very like inclusive in the artistic process mm -hmm. and asking you for his, asking you for feedback and this color, yeah. like his color checking against you guys too, like that. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's like you've been doing studio visits for a long time. <laughs> But also, <laughs> here you are making like very formal conceptual work. I know, it's like, like. And then you're doing color theory teaching and all of that. Like. I know, it's funny. It's like, uh, I think, I don't know where I read this, but like how if your parents are in a certain field, like you'll kind of just grow up with that language. And I sort of feel like that with mm. um, like my dad in painting. Like he just sort of talks about that stuff all the time and he's pretty philosophical. So it's like. I don't know, you go home and have breakfast. It's like a four-hour breakfast. It's like very like epic conversation. You're like, oh, God, I need a break because it's just like goes on and on. It always like goes into like the world and people and like humanity and how it can be improved. And you're just like, okay. It's like, oh, so he's an optimist. That's good. <laughs> yeah, they're optimists. I mean, I was raised as a Baha'i, um, so, which is like a world religion that uh, believes in like the oneness of mankind and like... It's all very like optimistic and like looking towards the future, and so I don't know. They is definitely a humanist. Is there an afterlife? Uh, yeah, it's sort of it's you could say it's like probably mostly like most closely related to Islam. Probably. Interesting. Uh, it's from the east, like Iran is where it's from. It's like a hundred and something fifty years old, but relatively new. Relatively new, <laughs> yeah. Um, but like both my parents, I think, were sort of caught up in like the. 60s I don't know I think that's like how they kind of got involved in that sort of a west coast new agey sort of adoption of eastern religion and also like yeah okay like so like I grew up within that community and I don't know never really had much exposure to Christmas or secular holidays or like anything like that they were well, like really kind of cut us off thoughts on Christmas <laughs> it's fine I don't know. do you celebrate Christmas now um not really. I Mark's is a wasp, so his family really does Christmas. But so I've like gone there for Christmas. But it's, it's like a big the, to do, isn't it? It's like Christmas carols, and I'm like, I don't know that song. Like my mom, she didn't even teach us Christmas carols. She was like, No, <laughs> you don't need to know that stuff. <laughs> it's wow. Probably true. I don't think that I need to know them either. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I just but. do. <laughs> I don't know. I've always I've always considered myself like. Not lucky. I'm just, or, or I guess I'm minorly appreciative of my Catholic upbringing just because of how it 
it led me into art history in a different way. Like I have a very strong understanding of of the Bible and the stories in the Bible and like the life of Jesus and all this other stuff, which is for the longest time, like the church was the patron of, mm-hmm. of the fine arts. Best, and so yeah. it's like, that's where all of these <clears throat> characters are referenced. And so then we get to kind of see the conceptual ties between object and or yeah. ob- object and concept or image and concept and, and, and narrative storytelling in that yeah. way. And I, I was, I guess, as much as I did not like going to church, I can now sort of see um, it benefiting me as an artist, I guess, just to right. just to kind of have that to check against in our history. I guess because you probably know a lot of the, I don't know, fable, not fables, I guess, like parables, <laughs> is that mm-hmm. there? Mm-hmm. like referencing and stuff, or like if there's mm-hmm. this saint, it, it represents that, it means mm-hmm. this, and yeah, like that stuff I, I had no idea about for a really long time. Mm-hmm. That's true. There was a lot of like symbolism in painting that I understood because I think because of my Catholic upbringing. Mm-hmm. You're both raised Catholic, Catholic? I was raised Catholic. I didn't go to a Catholic school or anything like that. We would go to church on Sunday and I had CCD or like mm-hmm. youth group. Okay. For the non-Catholic school people. I did go to Catholic school. What's CCD? <laughs> it's like Sunday school. Okay. What does it stand? Do you know what it's an acronym for? Catechism? I don't know. Um. <laughs> I forgot. Interesting. My mom used to be a CCD teacher. Boring. Um, I think it. Well, it was like it wasn't her job. I think maybe she got paid extra for it, or maybe she maybe it was just a volunteer thing. Um, That'd be the last thing I'd want to do. I think she was into it. I don't know. (laughs) Be a teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think it's a bit late. You, you are a teacher, Jacob. Sorry. I am. I actually really enjoy it. Um, I gave my students a really impassioned speech, and it was. I sort of felt like a football coach, like it was halftime, and you know. <laughs> Clear so eyes, we've full been, hearts. Yeah, we've <laughs> yes. been down to the next forty minutes for the next forty years of your life or whatever. And oh, jeez. No, I'm kidding. That's like the, that's like the bad guy's speech in Varsity Blues. Oh. He's just like, you live this moment now, and it'll last forever, and then. James Vanderbeek comes in and he's just like the next 40 minutes for the next 40 minutes and then we'll go live the rest of our lives like he's just like don't make this your best moment but make it a moment you're proud of so and you just have to make it through 40 minutes yep yep so I told him just just do your best just really try hard because you don't know what you're capable of until you push yourself and they seemed emboldened and um that's good yeah but also it's like (laughs) We were talking last night about grading. I'm just like thinking about to negotiate their grade with them. <laughs> like sit down at a table. So Jenna, what grade would you like? I would like like a like an even A. An even A, so like a ninety percent. No, that no, like that's an A minus. I just mean like a middle. You want like a ninety three? Like a ninety three point four. Point three three repeating. Okay, so so of the three drawings that I've asked you to pull out of your portfolio and present. <laughs> Which one of these just like sh- showcases your ability to use value in a drawing? Why am I taking a drawing class? <laughs> They're like, what's How value? Did I get here? And then you, you know you're draw. really teaching them. What's value? Yeah, what's value? And I'm like, all right, so this A is out of the question. You're like, okay, Gosh. so we were starting at the D. <laughs> so we're going to start what you want and we're going to work towards what you deserve. Hmm, okay. So they should aim higher. They should be like, I if want anyone's listening, a 99. Yes. Yeah. repeating. I had a teacher do that to me in my uh, undergrad. 
ceramics teacher. <laughs> How'd it go? Um, was it really obnoxious? Hi, he was just like, so, like, what grade do you think you deserve? And then you had to kind of say, and then he'd be like, well, why do you think you deserve that? And then you had to, like, defend it. And then he'd be like, hmm, all right, well, thanks for coming in. Mm-hmm. And then I think for some people he gave them that or gave them less or gave them more. Mm-hmm. But I think if you kind of, like... I want them to feel included in the process a little bit. It's just self-evaluation. Yeah. It's interesting, though. It's kind of like who sort of, like, devalues what they've done or, like, their time Mm -hmm. and who, like, thinks they've worked really hard. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I bet, like, teachers are kind of like, oh, you thought you didn't do very much work, but it's really good. You'll go far. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was always me. I, like, worked my ass off, and then they'd be like, what grade do you think? And I'm like, well, I didn't really work that hard, so probably, like, you know, like a C. And they'd be like... No, <laughs> like, no, that's not what you deserve. Like, I, I would have to do self-evaluations and I would be like, yeah, I probably got like, you know, this terrible grade. And then and never, that's hmm. never the case. It's I hard because I think happen. like sometimes you can always see how much more you could have done. Yeah. Or like in your it. head, you have like a picture and you're like, well, I only got like halfway there. So I, I only I spent 30 <laughs> hours this week outside of class time. <laughs> I could have spent 35 or 40, <laughs> you know, it's like. Yeah, all that time sleeping. Oh, yeah, I need to cut something out. <laughs> Stop working. I feel like in color, if I did that, they would be like, I spent so long. It's so hard. And it's like not the case. Like some of them just are deplorable and some of them are really good. But I don't think I would ever self-evaluate them because, well, maybe, but I wouldn't give them a grade according to what they think they deserve. I feel like all of them are like, A, A, A. Oh, sure. really? Yeah. I think that I think what I'm hoping to foster in them is a, is a strong critical self-awareness mm-hmm. like um yeah. because that is that's what's going to make them <clears throat> improve or help them improve like yeah. to be able to see uh you know areas that that are like either underdeveloped or you know like if we're going for volume and things are looking kind of flat it's like all right well how is your drawing operating to make this look more flat than you want and hmm. addressing those sort of issues like it's it's a it's it's a pretty straightforward back and forth between what you want and what your drawing is doing and yeah. uh, and to build the language within them to kind of look at that and, and address those issues and then correct them, you know, like then mm-hmm. to make corrections right? and, uh, and have, uh, hopefully have a better drawing at the end of it. But yeah, I don't know. I think I am realizing how few and far between people are who can push themselves and who can like work intrinsically, like with intrinsic motivation. It's just like, I have one girl in my class right now who does it and she's awesome. But like people, they fulfill objectives, but they, that's what they think deserves an A is like fulfilling the objective. And you're like, but you didn't push yourself. And a class like that, that is so formal, mm-hmm. it's like you could do anything and you chose to do this. Like you did fulfill it, but that's like passing. That's not excellent. Like, right. I don't know. But so like crits are really beneficial because they're like, that's what I did. And that's what that the other person did. They're like, oh, I guess I could do better. I'm like, yeah, you're damn right. You could do better. Come on. It took me a long time <laughs> to learn that, that self-motivation. For a long time, I was just sort of like going through life you know, like going off of somebody else's list or something. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that I was writing that list and then I was in control. And that was a good, that yeah. was a good change. I, f- I don't know. I feel like I'm not sure if it's like a difference in the education system, like from Canada to here, but it does seem like people uh, just kind of do a lot of that box checking. Like there isn't, 
seems like there's not a lot of space for failure or exploration. And I don't know if that's because like school and education is almost seen as like a commodity that you're buying and purchasing, mm-hmm. like an experience. And I feel like that is definitely the case here with IU. Like it always seems like they're trying to cater to people and make sure they have a good time and like mm. they're getting something out of it. Like, what are you getting out of it? And I'm like, but they don't know how to question. They don't have any kind of like motivation a lot of the time. I just, I don't know. It's just interesting. I'm like, we're in, like in a place where education is so expensive and mm-hmm. maybe people can't really afford it. They just need to have that certification and they just need to move on. And there isn't that space to really learn very much. And they also have such strict requirements for what classes they have to take. Oh, I know. And so many credits. I'm like, Jesus, you have to take like 18 credits. Yeah. So it's like there's no – that was the thing that was most annoying to me in in undergrad was like I wanted to take Italian language, but it didn't count towards my major. So I took it anyway, but it like set me back. And then I like wanted to keep taking – classes in archaeology because it made sense for my the work that I was making yeah but I could only finagle them counting for so many types of credits and it was like I just wanted to take things that were relevant and that would kind of add to what I was already thinking about but instead I had to take you know like geology or something or I don't know maybe I didn't take geology but just something that just was like I don't want to take this class yeah. And I'm going to show up to this class every day and be annoyed that I'm in it, but I'm going to do it. And then, and because this is what I have to do, but it's like, well, why couldn't I just take more of something else? That's, yeah. I don't know. It's like the superficial well-roundedness or something, but yeah. it's like you come out not really knowing very much. Like no. our undergrads in printmaking, it's like they have one class per discipline and that's it. There's like no upper level print classes. It's just sort oh. of like oh, you can take it more than once. But then exactly, like, how does it fit into your requirements? Like, Mm -hmm. is it actually an upper-level class? Or are you just, like, taking an independent study, essentially, and not really getting any feedback or learning very much? Yeah. I don't know. And I I just feel like, why don't they teach people how to learn? Because that seems like Mm -hmm. the thing that's going to help them for the rest of their lives. I think that's teaching people how to teach. I know. (laughs) So that they can teach people how to learn. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I thought we would get more instruction on how to teach i actually yeah, me too <laughs> i was like oh yeah. my god I thought there'd be a class yeah <laughs> at least a semester mm-hmm. where they're like here this, are, this is a regular schedule that you're going to and these are the meetings and this is an instructor from like yeah this is how to the, run a critique this is like mm-hmm. <laughs> the center just, for innovative teaching and learning yeah <laughs> just way more than we had but you learn by do i don't know i think it's more like a learn by doing yeah. and mm-hmm. it's kind of crazy that they are having us do that when people are paying a lot of money i know and it is like a form it's not like it's not an upper level thing it's not something that we're like most of us are super well versed in Mm -hmm. um like i kind of have to backtrack to to think about drawing uh a lot Mm -hmm. of those classes were done pretty early in my Mm -hmm. uh, school career anyway Mm -hmm. and it's just like they're getting they're getting like bargain teacher you not bargain teacher I guess they're paying us more but like they're getting it's it's just weird it's just weird that they're getting an inexperienced teacher mm-hmm. to teach them something pretty important and but I feel like the students are getting something different from us than they would a more like experience I think that, I think there are other benefits like I think the way that we think as graduate students is helpful for the students in a totally different way um, because we are like or at least in my class, I kind of I'll, like push them to be a little bit more exploratory. Like I give them guidelines, but I'm like, you can break my rules. You just have to tell me why, you know, like, please break my rules. 
like here mm. like impress it. me make me jealous yeah <laughs> and some of them do and they do it like one of them was like hey in the first project he was like i can't get um i can't get the white foam board to look clean like as clean as i want i want it to be really clean and he's like i didn't see it like specifically in the rules but like what if i painted it white like after i make it and then it's like really clean and i was like you should paint it white like do that because he was the only one who was like what if i like kind of been to this rule or do this thing that's not required but <laughs> i think will actually benefit the objectives because it was like supposed to be clean mm-hmm. um so i don't know so he's like thinking and you're like yeah i think i'm like yeah <laughs> keep doing that so but I, I don't know that other instructors would do that and also because it's fresh every time it's like so my in my undergrad i took a foundations class this 2d class is kind of similar to like the color class that yeah. that Nia's teaching um and the instructor had taught it for 25 years and was bored like so bored like yeah was very very well versed in it could teach it with her eyes closed that was the problem is that it was just boring for her and it was really clear so i feel like Mm -hmm. we are offering something totally different um even as like cheap labor or inexperienced professors or whatever or instructors maybe Um, they assume we're hungry so they're like they'll rise to it yeah yeah maybe I had a teacher in my undergrad he was like people I think wanted to know like who would like how many people would get an A like would he give out how many A's and he's like I only give A's or A pluses if I'm jealous and I wish I'd made that Mm -hmm. he's like I wish I'd done that yeah that's my my benchmark for an A (laughs) totally yeah 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 I'm more lenient on grading than I thought I would be. I'm like, oh, but they tried so hard. Because, like, my students are really, like, they're really trying hard. They seem so young, too. They seem like babies. Like, they don't know how to do shit for themselves. I'm like, oh, my God. I have a lot of babies. older students, actually. Like, like it like, seems like half freshmen and half, like, juniors and seniors. Mm. Um, which I think is interesting. Like, some of my, well, actually, I have a number of students who are over 21. And I have seen them out, like, at bars and stuff and I'm like hey <laughs> how's it going <laughs> um which is really funny actually I just found out last night Mark it, Mark and I have the same student because he came to the Fuller projects oh okay 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 and I didn't um I didn't really tell my students about I mean I told them about the Fuller projects at the beginning and I like posted a schedule when we got the poster up or whatever but I don't I didn't tell them that I run it or like oh okay because <laughs> I just feel weird I don't know I just feel weird about like being like, hey, you should come to this, like that it is self-serving if I tell them that I run it, but I'm just like, these are like cool shows, you should go to them. Um, I'd rather be have that like one level of removal for my students so that they're not like, oh, it's just our like overexcited instructor telling us about this thing that she does. This you other know? thing that she does. Yeah. yeah, so I'm just like, <laughs> hey, it's this thing, you should go to it. <laughs> and, and then like they all see me at the lectures and stuff because they have to do like a, yeah. and. I like warned them that they can't fake them because I'm at all the lectures. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask, I know you were talking about how your dad has a show coming up. Oh, yeah. And then um, I think I kind of heard that you might also. Oh, me and Mark have a two-person show together at Noise. A Noise Gallery? Noise Downtown, yeah. And Their new space? The third. Hmm? Their new space, right? Um, I think it's the one that's close to the tap. Yeah, it's the new space. Great. Yeah. Not yep. in the garage. Not in the garage. No, not there. The one that, yeah. No, he's downtown. <laughs> yeah, and I think the opening's going to be on the next first Friday. Okay. November 3rd. 
November 3rd. Oh, so November 3rd. Okay, so that's, that's like really soon, soon right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Well, that'll be good. Because, like, haven't really done any preparing for that, so. Have you two Hopefully. exhibited together before? Um, Not just the two of us. We were in a show this past summer um, through, like, some print alumni in Kokomo there at mm-hmm. the IU Kokomo campus. And mm-hmm. um, we were in the same room together we had stuff but i think for this show we're gonna kind of like make a collaborative like there's gonna be some collaborative elements mm. that will maybe be hopefully subtle but we'll see oh, that's great <laughs> we'll see if people notice and the, the kokomo show did um zach oh yeah what's what's his last zach name carlisle davidson okay he he uh yeah it was him that, that yeah him and his wife sort of organized that i think it was nice. It was fun. Yeah. And so what's your, what's the, is there a theme for your two-person show? Have you decided that? Or is it just like, this is what happens when Mark and Mia work together on art. Here it is. There is, I wrote something and I can't like really remember right now, but it's going to be called Feedback Loop. So I think okay. it's kind of just about like, well, me, I kind of work in this like circular motion and he sort of likes to take lines and sort of recontextualize and reform them and sort of like... Uh, lines that are used in sort of like our common it's like lexicon the like term mm-hmm. it's like lines that are often used to sort of describe things a like common visual language and I guess just sort of using those to sort of create like spaces or sort of take them out of their context so that you can kind of just see how they allude to stuff that you're used to but mm-hmm. maybe you're sort of somewhat unconscious of that influence and I guess we're going to just kind of like bring it together in some way that sort of way of working that sounds cool two printmakers Can't in wait. one house seems extreme do you guys have a lot of art <laughs> on the walls <laughs> um yeah it's like all my art <laughs> yeah as i'm an asshole <laughs> um i yeah we have like we have some big paintings i don't know we came here with a lot of art and then our house is very small so mm-hmm. like but we should do a trade i kind of want one of your little forms <laughs> yeah sure um, Take part with one <laughs> It's funny because I think printmakers are often like pretty anal, and I'm like not at all like that. It's just funny um, that I ended up in printmaking. But anyways, I don't really think of myself as a printmaker. I just think of myself as like an artist in general. Yeah, I think some people are very connected to that term, and I'm like, eh, I just, I just like doing things mm-hmm. all over. So mm-hmm. me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's I think well, I yeah, there's with. there's gonna be some sort of interaction and and intersection between a craft and a or an artist tradition and an art artist i suppose like, mm-hmm. like a technician you know like yeah. you're you saying about being a printmaker for an artist mm-hmm. you know you could be a carpenter for an artist or a welder for an artist or i'm yeah. kind of into that idea actually mm-hmm. i feel like we could do a whole another hour now based on that like last idea but um a wasp just got in here so maybe we should like oh wait he might be making his way back out is the window open anymore i closed it oh we just have a wasp friend now. All right. Well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. <laughs> Nia Kelly. <laughs> yes. Where can we find your work online? Oh, I have a website. It's just niakelly.com. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Is Kelly with an with an E Y or just a Y? Just a Y. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Sometimes the last name Kelly is like E Y. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People think I get called Kelly all the time. It's very funny. Oh, and I think the is your last name. Yeah. Yeah, like it's someone forgot the comma or something. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, hi, Kelly. And I'm like, it's a very common last name. It is like a common so last name. It's so common. It's like Jones or Smith. Yeah. But whatever. 
And uh, do you have a public Instagram? Is uh-huh. that something that you use for artwork? Uh, yeah. Most people like to. I don't use it for like, I use it kind of jokingly. Mm. But yeah, I do. Wow, that was judgy, Jacob. An ironic Mm. Instagram. (laughs) It's not ironic. It's just sort of like maybe a reflection of my sense of humor. Oh, okay. okay. So you just mean it's not like super serious? It's like your. No, it's not like some people that are like dimensions and then all these like very serious hashtags. Oh, yeah. I don't, I'm Mm -hmm. not really. And what's your Instagram handle? Um, I think it's also just my name. Leah Kelly? Yeah. (laughs) Great. Easy. Easy Convenient. You can also follow us on Studio Visits Podcast on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And me at Jenna Lee Richards on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I'm A. Jacob Hansen. You can G, uh, Gmail us at gmail.com. Uh, studio, visits, studio Visits Podcast at gmail.com. That's it. And um, yeah, we usually do a thing where we ask people to send us pictures of something. Never works. It never works, but someday we will get photos of something. Um, you want to help us pick, Nia? Pictures of... Just like one week it was like light bulbs. They're wieners. Uh, <laughs> no, that would not be preferable, actually. I think Jenna asked for their feet once. I did. Yeah, that got weird just because... Jenna's got a thing for feet. I don't actually have a thing for feet. Like without She's shoes? She's got like a... Yeah, and like crusties <laughs> I, in between no, the toes gross. and stuff. You're like She's, toe jams. That's my thing. She's <laughs> a real freaky dicky lady. No. Totally not. Can we edit this out? Um, <laughs> this went downhill pretty fucking fast. Okay, what I'll should we have that. them send us pictures up? I was just going to say like sharp objects. Oh, sharp objects. I like that. That's good. Sharp objects. Yep. Mm, That's scary. what we want pictures Ooh, of. Ooh, spooky yeah, for Halloween. Halloween themed <laughs> photo request sharp objects. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, bye. 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 <laughs> Ciao.